So DealQuest listeners, I am so excited to have Dave Sanderson on an upcoming episode of DealQuest. So I got to know Dave when he spoke at EO many years ago and heard his amazing story about the miracle on the Hudson. But I'm also just totally intrigued by the work he does you know, with, with people now and some of the deals that he's done. Dave, tell our listeners what they're going to hear on the upcoming episode of DealQuest. Well, thanks, Corey. I think you're going to hear a little bit about my story about the miracle on the Hudson, but really how that changed my direction in my life. And and I also want to share a little bit about my mentor, Bill, and some of the things he taught me, and which not only helped me in my life, but helped me through business. And I even want to talk about a little bit about how one of those things he taught me helped me make one of the biggest opportunities and deals I've ever had. And it's just by wisdom, being able to go outside the box. So I'm excited for people to be able to hear some of these, some of these items we talk about. That's awesome, folks. There, there are going to be so many great lessons uh, coming out of this, uh, this episode. Uh, you know, around, um, you know, whether it's uh, negotiating internally in a company to get things done. And, uh, you know, like you said, his mentor's advice. And, you know, I'm just thrilled about what the value that Dave provides in the world in general. So I'm so excited to have him on the show. Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out of the box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the DealQuest podcast. Let's get started. Dave Sanderson is an entrepreneur, best-selling author, philanthropist, and a survivor of the miracle on the Hudson. For more than four decades, he's been a top producer for some of the largest sales teams in the world. More than 250,000 people have enjoyed the warmth, humor, and inspirational power of his business and personal leadership events. Author and contributing author of three international best-selling books, including Moments Matter, How One Defining Moment Can Create a Lifetime of Purpose, Brace for Impact, the recent bestseller, Number One Habit for Success, Smart Femme Summit Special Edition. Mr. Sanderson has empowered more than 500,000 people globally through his speaking, audio, video, and workshop programs. After nearly 35 years in sales and sales leadership, with roles in companies such as ADP, PeopleSoft, KPMG, and Oracle, Dave found his executive coaching and personal leadership firm, Dave Sanderson Speaks International, on January 15, 2014. As a sought-after international speaker, he works with established and emerging leaders to help them find their distinct advantage, aligning with their purpose through employing their leadership skills, igniting their performance through focused execution, resourcefulness, and gratitude. On January 15, 2009, Dave was one of the last passengers off the plane that crashed into the Hudson River, best known as the Miracle on the Hudson, considered to be the most successful ditching in aviation history. In addition to 35 years in sales and sales leadership, he was a director of security for Tony Robbins for over 10 years and has recently been named one of the top 100 leadership speakers in Inc.com. Dave has spoken at countless fundraisers that have raised over $14 million for the American Red Cross. He continues to donate his speaker services to the organization as an expression of gratitude for the care he received 
from the first person he saw after he was rescued and transferred to land in New Jersey at Red Cross Volunteer with a blanket. Dave Sanderson, welcome to the Deal Quest podcast. Corey, thank you for having me today. Yeah, you know, folks, I, I got to tell you, I, um, um, we're going to get get into a lot of stuff with Dave, but I saw him speak some years ago at an entrepreneurs organization event, telling his story about the uh, uh, Miracle on Hudson. And I, I think I've shared with Dave in the past that I actually saw that happen from my conference room window on the 72nd floor of the Empire State Building at that time, which faced west. My client said, what's that? And pointed. And we literally saw the plane, you know, as it landed in the water. And we would just which was north of where we were on, you know, 34th Street and started floating down the Hudson. So it, we'll get into that, that amazing story. And, and, you know, maybe even more importantly for entrepreneurs and deals on what it led Dave to do and what he does now. But before we do that, I want to take you back, Dave, to when you were a little kid growing up, 8, 10, 12 years old. What did you want to be when you grew up? Because my guess is a uh, speaker and leadership trainer and consultant and, you know, coach was probably not it, but you tell me. Yeah, you're exactly right. It was not it. When I was 12 years old, I, I had two things in my little book that my mother kept for me. One was I want to be a major league baseball player. And the other thing I wanted to be was an astronaut. As you, uh, you and I probably grew up in the 60s where space was everything. So yeah, no, it wasn't to be what we're doing now. But uh, you know, sometimes we get led to do different things in our life. Yeah, totally love it. Okay. And then one other question, looking back, and uh, this could be when you're a kid or older, whatever, whatever comes to mind. What was your first deal of any type? Yeah, the first one I look back on, it was uh, it had to be when I was selling copiers door to door. And, you know, I was in, and back then, you know, you had to get a van and put a copier in every day and they told you not to come back with it. So uh, you figure out how to sell pretty quick, right? And uh, you make a lot of mistakes when you first get into selling. But my first opportunity, I was uh, selling a copier and um, I was ecstatic. I, I'm very candid. I didn't know what I was doing. Unfortunately, I had someone to give me some guidance, but that was my first one in that world, but then I, had, of course, had some significant ones come on later. I learned you learn a lot more from the losses than you do the wins, as you know. Absolutely. All right. So I definitely want to go back and hear, you know, some of your story and how you got to where you be. But just, just, just very quickly, give you know just a minute or two on exactly what you're doing now and and who you're, you know, who you serve, who your ideal clients are, and then we're going to talk about how you got there. Well, thanks. So yeah, I right now I'm uh, not only do I go out and speak and do workshops and things like that, I'm actually doing some consulting work with Oracle where I used to work when all this started happening. And my primary client or ideal client is right now in the healthcare industry, which is uh, pretty ironic, the stuff that's going on right now in the healthcare world. But it's uh, it's been quite an experience. Uh, they asked me to come back and sort of help them with some leadership uh, attributes in the healthcare arena. So I was very honored that they asked me to come back and do that. So I'm doing that in addition to... Um, Whenever we have the opportunity again, Corey, to go out and speak and impact people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get into that story. Obviously, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna relate your experience back to deals. Yep. And I know you have a new book coming out, and uh, yep. there's a great story you tell, you know, that's sort of deal related in that. But I just have a feeling if we uh, don't hit the miracle on the Hudson experience early, people are gonna be sitting here, our listeners saying, "Tell me what happened. The guy was on the plane that suddenly landed at <laughs> Hudson." You know. As I said, you know, I, I, was, I was sitting with a client. We had just finished a meeting and a client literally stood up. He was on the side of the conference room table where you could see out the west-facing window, wet northwest. He pointed and said, what is that? I looked and we, and we were like, it took us a second, not because it wasn't obvious that it was a plane, but because I think our minds couldn't register that it was a plane, you know, right. landing in the Hudson. And then we started floating down towards us because you guys landed 
north of uh, 34th Street, where, you know, where the Empire State Building looks directly. So you're on this plane and, you know, and everybody, I think most people know the, the story of it landing, but, you know, tell your particular story and, and then how it sort of uh, influenced you to, uh, you know, to, um, or inspired you to do some of the things you do and, you know, now in terms of speaking. Well, thanks, Corey. Yeah, I, I guess the first point is I was supposed to be on the plane. I think that's part of the story that I tell more now because I think things happen in our lives are put in positions for reasons. And Hanley, I wasn't supposed to be on the plane. I was on the five o'clock flight originally because in business, and especially I travel three or four days a week like most uh, salespeople do and or did. I always schedule the last flight out of the where I was at because you never know how the day is going to go. I mean, right. it could go great. It could go poorly. So and we got done. We started, we were working in a distribution plant in Brooklyn, New York. And so if anybody's listening who works and or has worked in a distribution plant or a warehouse, you know that they open up quite early in the morning. This one opened up at two o'clock in the morning and all the trucks started their routes to come in at five o'clock. So we wanted to be there to see the action because that's what we're there for, looking at systems and warehouse and distribution systems. And that's what we were doing while we were in Brooklyn. So we started at about 4.45, 5 o'clock. And then so we got done at 10. And that was like a dream come true because you rarely get done that early. And so I was like, great. I called the travel agent and worked with her. And then she shifts my flight to 1549 that, uh, that afternoon. So I, um, I gave up a first class seat at 5 o'clock for a C-15A to be on U.S. Airways flight 1549 on January 15th. Wow, amazing. So the plane goes down. What are you thinking there? And then also, I know you made some choices about, you know, getting off the plane and helping other people, that kind of stuff. Tell us that part of it. Yeah, I, you know, it's, when it really started registering, I, I heard the explosion. I saw the fire because I was on the left side of the plane and, you know, I was four rows behind that left wing. So I saw it coming out, but candidly, you know, people who fly a lot and like I did and hopefully will do in the near future, planes have multiple engines. So, you know, hey, the plane's just going to go back to LaGuardia, right? It lost an engine, it circle back. You know, pilots are trained to fly on one engine. Right. And that's, you know, but as we all know now, it was a double burst strike almost simultaneously because you only heard one explosion on the plane. So I, I think that contributed to it, Corey, because no one really got out of sorts because I think most people thought, we got another engine, we're going back to the airport. But you know, as we were crossing over the George Washington, is when I heard the the captain's famous words, this is your captain brace for impact. And that's when I, I got to tell my book, new book, that's when I put two plus two together. I'm like, okay, this is, this is not good now because all, you know, we cleared the George Washington by approximately 400 feet and the bridge is approximately 600 feet. Yeah. So we we're about a thousand feet and descending straight into the Hudson river. And you remember that day, it was 11 degrees. It was cold that day in New York and the river. If you looked out and uh, there's some pictures that so I saw, saw that happened earlier in the day, there was ice in the river. Yeah. So it was, it was not only cold, it was ice in the river. So, you know, that's when, um, you know, about a minute and a half to two minutes at that point in time to sort of get reconciled. So that's when I, uh, I went into business mode, Canley. I didn't, I said my final prayers and I went to business mode because it's like, okay, if I have a shot, I better have a game plan. And, you know, being in sales and, you know, if you're putting together agreements and deals and things like that, you better have a game plan on how this thing's going to shake out. So, I put my game plan together and my game plan was to get to the aisle, get up and get out if I survived the crash. And fortunately, as you, we all know now, we did survive the crash, but now you got part two, which is now water coming into the plane. And the way it hit, it hit backside and frontside. So the backside took the brunt of the hit and he was approximately, I think he says between 100, 120 miles an hour when he hit. So uh, it was a hard hit. 
and some of the fuselage came off and something came through the bottom. So water started coming in immediately. So yes, you survived the crash, but now you got ice cold water coming in the plane rapidly and the plane started to sink and no one trains for this. So now it's like, okay, we got to get it going into go mode now. And that's what happened. So I think I tell people one, if you look for this from a business case perspective, I think this is a, a really good business case for somebody because if you look at the business side is uh 90% of that, that passenger on that plane, Corey, were business people. Yeah. And contrast that, and I had the opportunity to do that with a captain down in Orlando, where if you're flying out of Orlando, which I do a lot and did a lot, 90% is just the opposite. It's right. people going on right. recreation, right? I so, ride tourism. Yeah, tourists. Uh, so, families. So you have a whole, di- whole different passenger makeup and mindset. So fortunately, if you look at the passenger makeup, these are business people. And all I think most people who are in that situation started going to business mode, right? We got to get out. No time for talking. Let's just get it going and focus on the mission and outcome at hand. So, you know, I did the same thing. My game plan when I was going down is an aisle up, out, aisle up, out. I kept seeing that in my head, aisle up, out. So when I got to the aisle, I was like, okay, time to go. But then uh, something happened to change the entire direction of that day and probably the, the direction of my life. Because when I got to the aisle, I heard my mother start talking to me in my head. My mom had passed away in 1997, but there was something she would tell me when I was a child. All of a sudden, I heard her say in my head, and it was, if you do the right thing, God will take care of you. And you know, tell people, as I thought about that over the last several years, one of the great things about my mother was, Corey, was she made me make decisions. And I think it's one of the things that I have definitely not done well as a parent, make my kids make decisions, because you know, she didn't say, you know, do this. She said, you know, if you do the right, and I could have gotten out of the plane and that could have been the right thing to do. But the choice I made was to go back and see if anybody needed help. And that's why I climbed over the seats towards the back of the plane. And I got behind everybody and everybody started to move. So, okay. But back there, the water was about about anywhere from waist to chest level deep. So it was much different in the back of the plane than it was in the middle of the plane. I'm going to be very candid. And based on the impact, of course, people had stowed some of their luggage underneath the seats and the bins had popped open on impact. Luggage is floating in the water and it's dark in the back of the plane because the back of the plane, if you look at it from the side angle from the New York side or the Jersey side, it's underneath water. The back was already underneath water because it wasn't like flat like you see in that one picture. It's actually underneath water. So the back of the plane was already submerged. So uh, I was just making my way out. I was just you know, behind everybody else. You know, I was you know, trying to get out. And the first light that I saw was on the right side at 10F, near the door that got popped out. So I got, okay, I'm out of here, right? Time to go. And, and I looked out and all of a sudden I saw things that were amazing. First was that wing was already filled up. There was no room for me on that wing. I looked over to the right and that little lifeboat was already filled up. And there's no room on the lifeboat. But people are already being rescued. The ferries were there, you know, as we know now, two to three minutes. They were amazing. That, that was part of the rescue that uh, people don't talk about a lot. Dave, I, you know, one of the things that because of the perspective I had from the 72nd floor of the Empire State Building, we actually had a like a, an aerial view of that happening. Wow. And I remember I said to my client, like there were just boats coming from everywhere. Like, and, and we saw it from the top. It was, a, I'll never forget that experience. And I was like amazed at how quickly you know, I mean, obviously they, you know, they got the word out, I guess, through whatever emergency systems or whatever. And, and it was unbelievable, the response. And to see that from our perspective was amazing. Yeah, it's, you know, and that's why I tell people, you, once again, I look at this from a lot of different angles and from the business side. You know, this happened, Corey, at pretty much the perfect time because 
the boats start their routes on the ferries, New York waterways, you know, roughly about 3.30, 4 o'clock, going back and forth. This happened at roughly, you know, what, 3.27 in the yeah. afternoon. So the boats were queued up, but they weren't out yet. Because now if you look at, if, if it was, say, 10 minutes later and the boats are crossing, we wouldn't even have a shot to go into the river because the right. boats were there. So it happened at the ideal time and the boats were queued up. And I know the gentleman who owns the New York Waterways, he made the call. He got the call. He made the call and said all boats go. And he forewent revenue. He could have been doing his revenue, right? That's what he gets paid to do. Yeah. But he made the call. And I give him a lot of credit for making that call. He probably didn't make that much revenue that afternoon, but he saved a lot of people's lives. Absolutely. So, so he made the right call. Wow. Amazing stuff. So you eventually got out of the plane. You were one of the last people out of the plane. Yep. And, you know, we all have seen those pictures of people standing on the wings and, you know, getting rescued. And so now, you know, at that time, you're, you're a salesperson. And, but this really changes the direct, your trajectory of life and business in some ways, right? It did. Right? On a number of different levels. And, you know, I mean, yeah, that was, things were happening so quickly. I mean, and, and you know this, you were in New York. You know, I was in New York media, right? I mean, so it was just constant that night. I mean, it's just kind of media. So I was all over the world in media because I was the last passenger out of the plane. I didn't know that until I was on Good Morning America. I, did, I knew I was one of the last because I was waist deep in 36 degree water, you know, hanging out of the plane for seven minutes. But yeah, so but what really, some of the things that really changed and helped me change is number one is, uh, you know, that next day when I got back to Charlotte, I went by the office, my Oracle office. And I just wanted to check in and say, hey, by the way, I let you know I'm, I'm, I'm alive, I'm okay. And my boss at that point said, are you going to Michigan next week, right? <laughs> and my daughter, I had two of my daughters. My wife was very smart because I should have been driving, Corey. I made a major faux pas. I shouldn't have been driving at all. But I did because my car was at the airport. I wanted to get it out of the airport. And my daughters were looking at me, and I told them I'd go to Michigan. And, but that told me something likewise. My vice president told me I didn't have to go. He was great. He's actually the one who invited me to come back last summer to help him. But I also told me sometimes people are so, so short-termed, you know, and looking at their revenue potential only that they're not looking at the bigger picture. Yeah. And, I mean, my vice president did. I give him all the credit. But uh, that point in time is 2009. And if you remember, that was during the recession. Things were pretty tough. Not a lot of people were buying software. So it was uh, – I look back and I know that he was looking at it from a business perspective, but then you look at it from a human perspective first. And that's one of the lessons I teach. So yes, number one sort of gave me the mindset to say, you know what, I'll do this, but maybe I have a bigger mission than selling software. And um, it took me a few years to figure it out. Right. I was you know, like you, I had the opportunity to go out and speak and I did that. And I did the Zig Ziglar approach. You know, I, I love Zig Ziglar. He gave his first 75 to hundred talks for free so he could, hone his techniques, right? And perfect his performance. And I did the same thing. I first 50 to 75 talks. I didn't take a dime for, but I was still working and I, you know, but you know, so I had revenue. In fact, that year I was the number one salesperson in our division, amazingly enough. And that opportunity I was in Brooklyn for went through. Yeah. So we can talk about that, that deal <laughs> later on, but yeah, so it was uh, that changed. And then I knew sort of, you know, so I realized that my mission was being able to impact people and helping people who, especially right, like right now, we're going through a traumatic life experience. And right now we're all going through that with this COVID thing. Yeah. So that's what turned my mission. And uh, that's why I started doing my own thing. And um, I still do my own thing. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. 
I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreycupfer.com slash assessment and filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. You know, it's interesting, Dave, because, you know, the sort of the... Um, definition of deals that we talk about on this, uh, you know, on this podcast is broader than what a lot of people think. You know, uh, a lot of people think deals are just mergers and acquisitions and big financing deals. But for me, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's everything from that to strategic alliances and joint ventures and, and right. you know, real estate, and you name it. Also, I think fundamentally, and in these times, I think it's become more and more like there's a fundamental deal that happens between an employer and their employees between companies and their clients or customers. And, you know, I think that those were not looked at as deals, you know, many years ago. It was just, yeah, we hire somebody, whatever, because, you know, there was an an unequal, uh, you know, sort of bargaining position often. You know, but now there are a lot more options for people. People can become entrepreneurs. There's a lot more mobility, you know, they, uh, and, and things like that. And, and I think if, um, you know, uh, because I had a similar experience, you know, when I was working in Big law firms, right? Where they expected basically, I mean, I, you know, I, I had a conversation with a, a young partner there when they upped the hours requirement that we had a bill at a, at a medium-sized firm when I had left a big firm to go to the medium-sized firm, right? And I said to that partner, well, that wasn't the deal when I got here, right? right. I could have stayed in big firm practice and be making, you know, 30, 40% more money. I, you know, the deal I took was to be able to work less, make less. And for me, it was because I had some side ventures that I was interested in, in pursuing, but whatever the reason. And, you know, his comment to me was, I don't believe in that lifestyle stuff. I said, I, you know, I, I, the deal was I would have, be able to have a certain lifestyle. And he said, I don't believe in that lifestyle stuff. So, you know, for me, it was like a, you know, I looked at that as a deal and they didn't look at that as a deal. They looked yep. at me as a, you know, as a, yes, valued, important, we love you, blah, 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 employee. But they didn't look at that, you know, breaching a deal and, you know, for you to have and, and, you know, and it's great at a high level of the company that they, they did, you know, they were great about it and they brought you back. But, you know, at, at the management level, well, you know, the deal is that he's supposed to be in Michigan. You know, I don't care what's going on in his life, you know. Right. And, yeah, and I think he's got the biggest thing working. He's having more trouble. I'm sorry. I, I think companies are having more trouble these days because employees are less likely to take that and also even taking their customers for granted and the deal and the, that they have with them. I think it's different times now. I agree. I, I, you know, this, the workforce right now is 180 degrees different than when I came started back in the mid late mid eighties. I mean, when you were talking, I was just thinking about, it was, you're, you're, you're spot on because what happened to me when I was with ADP, I was a top producer. I was on board of directors. I was excelling and I had a great manager who hired me and he left and another person came in and, and the first thing he had to do, Corey, uh, was we had a kickoff meeting and it was in July in Callaway gardens, Georgia. And the first thing he had to do was hand me a commission check for $63,000. And he looked at me and said, you'll never make this much again. <laughs> and I'm looking like, what's your problem, right? I mean, come on. You want your salespeople to make more, right? Make more than you do. That told me something. And I found out that, you know, the person who hires you is the one who's got the vested interest. Someone comes in, they don't have a vested interest in you. And now, back then, you put up with it for a while. Now, right. people don't put up with it. Right. They just don't put up with it. Right. Totally different, totally different deal. So that inspires you, you know, to go out and, you know, become a speaker. And I know, I mean, now, you know, you've, I mean, you said, you know, you did those uh, 50 or 75 gigs for free, but, you know, but now, you know, you've been 
appropriately compensated speaker for uh, for many many years. And, right. and what you know what what is the uh, you know I, I think people can probably glean it. But you know, to talk to us about the message of your fundamental message when you go out and speak. Well, you know, it's it's definitely grown and, and morphed over the last couple of years. Well, first for the first few years, and you probably would understand, people just want to hear about what happened inside yes. the plane. And yes. that's, people still want to hear about that, but it's really grown to the point where now I'm talking more about personal leadership and those skill sets that come out when you have to really bring them out. And I call it now your distinct advantage because one thing that I've started realizing after talking to all these people and now writing my new book is that, you know, everybody's got a unique gift that they've got. And when they combine that with what they're most passionate about, that becomes the point in time that will change everything for them. And that's, that's what happened to me. I, all of a sudden, I realized I love speaking. I loved impacting people. I was super passionate about it. And that was the point. I call, the, I call it now the pitch. Point in time that changes everything. And everybody's got that. You've got the gift. You've got a gift. But are you passionate about that gift? And once you can put those things together, and right now my talk's about how through this story and what's happened to me and some of the other things that have happened afterwards, how if you can find that, through your personal leadership skills, you can find what you're passionate, most passionate about it, and you're uniquely gifted for, that's when everything in your life comes together and you can really make an impact and live the life of fulfillment. Absolutely. I, I so agree with that. You mentioned quickly this, this upcoming book. So tell us a little bit about the book. And then I know that there's a story that you've alluded to with me on a, on a you know, prior conversation we had you know, that uh, is, is sort of a, you know, a deal lesson or some advice you, you, know, you got from a mentor. So, uh, you know, tell the audience what the book is, uh, you know, when it's coming out. And then, you know, let's, uh, yeah, let's hear that story. Well, I'm going to share with you about the deal. It's going to be in the book. Because what happened to me, Corey, is back in 1983, my dad told me after I got out of college, I had 30 days to get the hell out of the house, excuse my language. And my dad, <laughs> if my dad wasn't one thing, he, he, he was a man of his word. He taught me that. Whatever he said, he was going to do. In 30 days, I didn't have a job. So he helped me get my first job. I give my dad credit because he, he told me to get out of the house. He was going to help me get out of the house. Right. And I became a second assistant restaurant manager for a company that's no longer around called Howard Johnson. So hotel restaurant manager, which I knew nothing about. I knew nothing about it except you go eat there and go sleep there, right? That's about all I knew. So my third stop was here in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I live right now. And as you know, when you're an apprentice or your second, that means you're a second and third shift. I mean, you're the low man, right? Yep. You're doing, you're scrubbing pans and doing whatever you got to do to learn the business. Well, fortunately for me, I was on second and third shift because there was a gentleman who would come into the restaurant every night with his wife. He wore a flannel shirt about every day and drove a pickup truck. And of course, we're here in North Carolina. People with preconceived ideas. He's just a good old boy from North Carolina. Well, what happened was he owned 80 movie theaters throughout his career. He was a mm. multimillionaire and they called him the Sam Walton of Charlotte. Mm. And knowing who this guy was, his name was Bill. And Bill and I were just talking until it was December 23rd of 1983. And I was still second assistant. I was here in Charlotte. He came to the restaurant that afternoon. So let me show you what I got from my wife. His name's wife, Bonnie. And it was a brand new blue Corvette. And I'd I never seen a blue I Number one, I'd never seen a Corvette, a blue Corvette. I'd never smelled a Corvette. I'd never touched a Corvette. So this is like, wow. I said, this is cool. He threw me the key, so let's take a spin. So that's my first experience of driving a Corvette. I drove up and down, it's called Woodlawn Road here, and came back and said, Bill, this is cool, man. She's going to love it. He goes, you need one of these. And I said, Bill, I'm making $13,000 a year. Right. I can barely afford my rent, right? He goes, that's your problem. You need to change your mindset. He, could, he said, can I help you learn with the success principle how to change your mindset so you can become wealthy? Mm. Now, I grew up 
you know, in the Midwest and the South where you respected your elders, right? And so I said, sure, of course. Yeah, I didn't, I mean, of course, why not, right? What do I have to lose? So for the next 14 years, he was coaching and mentoring me and t- sharing all these, this wisdom. Because what I found out, you know, on the, right before he passed away in 1997, is that he had a mentor back in 1929 that helped him get into business. Wow. It was coaching him. And so fast forward to 1997, my mother had just passed away. My sister and I had to help put the arrangements together. So your mind's, I mean, I don't know if you ever had to bear anybody. Your mind starts not together, right? You're yes. all over the place. Came back, Bill called me to his office. I went to Bill's office and he walked over to his, his big desk and pulled these crumpled pieces of paper out. And he sat down next to me. He said, I want to give you something. I said, well, he goes, these, these are the handwritten notes I took in 1929 when I sat down with my mentor and he was teaching me the success principles of business. He said, this is what I've really been teaching you over the last, last number of years. Wow. He said, I want to give this to you, but you have to promise me something. I said, why? He goes, don't let it die with you. Mm. And that's one of the last things he said to me before he passed away later that year, September of that year. So part of these principles I'm writing some of my books about is, is I'm writing about these principles and I'm connecting the dots of all these things that these mentors and great people teach you. And all of a sudden, you know, they all coalesced, they all coalesced for me on January 15, 2009. They all came together, but it also affected my business. And I'm, that's why I'm going to transition because you and I talked about this. Because what happened was, you know, I was with, like you said, ADP and then people, then I was with KPMG. And that's one of the, as you know, back then it was one of the big five. Now it's one of the big four accounting firms, right? Sure. And I was actually in the first wave of their sales teams. They, they started putting Salesforce together. Like up to that point, partners and senior managers would do all the selling. They wanted salespeople to go out and do it and then bring the partners in. So that's what I was doing. So you know, I, had, I had what's called consumer industrial market down in the Southeast. Basically people who made a good, sold a good, or distributed a good, right? So I had this and you know, Bill and I were talking and he was teaching me these things, right? And he was talking about you know, one, of the, one of the principles he was teaching me about is per- perseverance and persistence. So we get to this opportunity and I open up this opportunity, a place called Coca-Cola in Atlanta. And, you know, I got in. Now, that's a big deal. I don't care what anybody says. Just getting in the doors, like getting in the door at Walmart, just getting in the door is a big deal. Yes. But one of the things that was interesting about it, when I got, got it, the partner didn't want to go initially because KPMG Audit had the PepsiCo relationship. And we can't go to Coke. Right. I said, you gave me this. I can court I'm a sales guy, right? I go after business. So they went and we got in there and we were getting, we were getting smoked. I mean, we were just getting smoked left and right, you know, and, you know, initially the challenging thing was, is to even let the partnership make the decision we could even pursue the opportunity. Yeah. So having, having to negotiate internally was a big deal. I learned a lot of things and Bill was teaching about perseverance. Don't give up, right? Perseverance. So we finally crossed that hurdle. So that was actually the first big win. You know, if you look at the major, major win in a big company, that was, I, I won the internal battle, at least pursue an opportunity. Right. And that, that, people underestimate the skill and ability that, right, you know, people are execs at companies, uh, you know, where they're not the entrepreneur, not the decision maker, that ability to understand how to negotiate and get an internal deal done. That's right. To even get, you know, the go ahead or to get alignment or to get budget or to get, you know, whatever. Sponsorship, you know, anything, right? Yeah. It's huge. It's, it was huge. And so I was proud of myself, but now we got to go after the business because now if they're going to potentially lose PepsiCo for Coke, you better win it, right? right? 
you, you better win it or your backside is probably not going to be around too much longer. But we were getting smoked. So I was talking to somebody in Atlanta, the grocery based in Atlanta. And I was saying, you know, what could we do in here? I mean, we're not obviously connected the right way. We're not, we're not doing something right. He gave me an idea. And the idea was this. He goes, what you don't understand is how Coke makes decisions. I said, okay, you're probably right. I don't. He said, what you need is somebody from the inside to teach you how they make decisions. He goes, I know somebody. And it was actually it used to be one of their attorneys who were on the negotiating team internally at Coca-Cola, KO. So I approached that person initially. And he's like, well, I can't do it for free, right? I'll help you, but I can't do it for free. So I went back to the partnership. I said, it's going to cost us $10,000 to have this guy counsel us, right? And of course, the partner said, we're not going to spend ten grand for someone to tell us how to sell business, right? And so, you know, we're all, so I'm the sales guy. And I, you know, I'm like, if we do this, I'll, I'll basically, I almost said, I'll stake my job on it. I didn't say that quite like that, but, you know, said, if we're going to have a chance to win. We got to go outside the box. We got, we got to break the rules, right? So we paid this guy $10,000 and he came in and coached us on how to negotiate with Coke and what the key things they were looking for, how they did business, right? Because we didn't understand. And we won that piece of like a $4 million piece of business. And we won it, which saved my job and probably saved a lot of partners' jobs likewise. But that also told me something. Sometimes you got to go outside the box and negotiate with things that you never even think about. And then you have to go back and sell it internally and negotiate. So what, like you said earlier, what I learned is some of the biggest challenges are negotiating internally to get the deal internally first where you can sell externally the deal. And the other piece that's fascinating to me, it's one of the things that I do talk about in my authentic negotiating book, you know, and any good negotiating training talks about is the level of preparation you need to do and also the ability to understand the person or company on the other side of the negotiating table. And, you know, this is a great story, a great example of how many people will just go in and they they think they know how to approach it because they think, you know, they're going to tout the benefits of the company they work at or use some negotiating tactic or, you know, approach that they've learned. But, you know, that comment that you don't understand how, you know, Coke works and the fact that you understood that how valuable it was to get that information about how they work, you know, is a great, great lesson in terms of negotiating success. And that's helped me greatly down the road. I mean, even if, in the Oracle and everything else, because I, I spent as much time internally selling when I was at Oracle and with Oracle, right, that I do externally. Yeah. You know, and because big companies, as you know, you're, you've been in big companies and you've been on the on the law and attorney side, it's just getting the buy-in internally is, uh, is about 90% of the battle. <laughs> no, no question. And, yep. and frankly, it's part of the reason why I've worked for myself since 1992. That's right. I, I hate That's it. why I try to give myself to Corey. Exactly right. <laughs> yep. But listen, but it's crucial. And, and you know, and, and, and people who, uh, people f- f- who figure out how to navigate and negotiate, you know, that environment, get alignment, cut the internal deals are, are actually the ones that are, you know, I mean, that's a big factor in their success uh, in big companies. Yep. I, that was a great learning experience on my part. And Kayla, I'm glad I had to go through it because it taught me so much about the different mindsets that you have to understand when you get into big, big opportunities. I mean, selling copiers door to door, it's a transaction, but you're selling these relationships, right? At that level, you better understand the entire landscape of what you're getting involved with. Yeah. And, you know, the last thing we'll, we'll say on that, and then I, I want to move on to a couple of things we'll conclude with. But, okay. you know, you said something that's important, which is selling relationships. And one of the things I always say to, to people, and it's um, who are negotiating anything, is that in most cases in business, the negotiation is either just the start of a new relationship or the continuation of an existing one. And if people don't keep that in mind, 
You know, so for example, if they use inauthentic negotiating tactics, so they just try to squeeze the last penny out of a, a deal and forget that there's a relationship involved, right. they run themselves into trouble. That's exactly right. I mean, one of the first things I learned when I got into sales and selling copiers is sales in negotiation is always belly to belly. Yeah. It's not company to company, it's belly to belly. And you, you have to have a relationship with that person. But second thing, which you said is, I think, as if not more important, I learned this in that transaction in New Jersey that I was up there in New York for with that company. And one of the biggest things that we gave up, of course, everybody gives a little bit, but one of the things that shifted the tide in that negotiation, Corey, was this. When I said, I'm the guy you're going to call at two o'clock in the morning when all stuff's breaking loose and you're ready to go live on the software and I'm the guy you're going to call because I'm the one that can make it happen. And that's what they needed to hear. Because they didn't care about what Oracle, I mean, Oracle, Oracle had to produce, right? But who are they going to call at two o'clock in the morning when all stuff's breaking loose so that someone can make something happen? And that one is one of the that taught me a great lesson. That's what accelerated my software sales careers because I did that to every other account. Yeah. I'll be the guy you call at two o'clock in the morning, you know, I'll make it happen. And, and um, I never go back on that. I, I did take many calls at two or three o'clock in the morning. But that's what companies want, right? They want that relationship. They want to know who's in the game with them. That's when it becomes a true partnership as opposed That's to just right. a transaction. Yeah, totally. So I know you're in the process of writing this, this book. Do you, do, is, there a, is there a title yet? Is there a date on when it's coming out or what well, stage? Well, she said that we just discussed that yesterday because, yes, we're gonna, the goal is to have this out September th- by September 30th. We're, it will be done and ready to go by September 30th. Of course, now we're looking at how we're going to launch it and all this because, as you know, with all the stuff going on, there's a lot of things, places you can and can't go. But the book's yes. called, you know, God Gives You the Lessons When You're Ready. And mm. it's really about these lessons that Bill and my mentor gave me that I didn't know that I was getting. And, you know, fast forward, he gave me these notes in 1997, like I shared in the past. But I, like, a, like a real smart guy that I am, I put them in a the journal and didn't look at them until 2016 when I was writing my next book, Moments Matter. And I found them. And I'm like, what an idiot I am. You know? <laughs> I mean, I've had gold for how, many, how long have I had this gold? But my partner, Don Barden, down in Atlanta, I said, you know, God doesn't give you the lesson until you're ready. You weren't ready to have it in 1997. You're ready now. And this has been my, I'm obsessed right now with doing this because not only do I have to fulfill my promise, but now's the time people need to understand this, this wisdom that these people had back in the early you know, 20th yeah. century. No question. And I truly believe, I mean, I, it's interesting. I say uh, basically the same thing in a different way often, which is I say, I really believe all the wisdom and answers and everything are out there, right? You yep, know, whether you call it the universe, whether you call it God, whether you call it through other people, you know, whatever it is, right? You know, I think the biggest game in life is our capacity to receive. That's right. And sometimes, I mean, I don't think there's a person out there who hasn't at some point realized they've heard this lesson, you know, two, three, 20, 30, 200 times before. And finally, somebody says it in a different way today and you're ready to receive it and you get it. That's right. Right? You, you finally understand it, right? That's um, right. It's not that you hadn't heard it before. It's just that you weren't ready to receive it, you know? Exactly right. Yeah. And I think that's what the book's all about right now. That's why I'm so excited about getting this book out. Because right now, during this pandemic and all, all the uncertainty that's going on, people need some certainty. And hopefully, we can share some wisdom that I was very fortunate and blessed to have over a number of years to hopefully help at least one person you get, you know, sort of wake them up and say, all right, you know, you're not in this thing alone and you can get it done. Well, folks, listen, definitely, uh, you know, look out for the, for the book that will be coming out relatively soon, you know, after this uh, podcast airs. Uh, I'm sure it's, I mean, just knowing uh, Dave as I know him and the value he's provided in past, uh, you know, books and, and, and his speeches, I'm sure it's going to be phenomenal. So definitely check it out. 
So Dave, before I ask my last question, uh, in general, where can people find out more about you? You know, whatever website would have. Well, if they go to my website, yeah, speaks.com. We're like most people, like I don't know about you, it's always under construction. So <laughs> I tell people right now the best place, if you really want to go find what's going on with me and all some things that I'm doing is LinkedIn at Dave's, David Sanderson because that's where I put my new content out first. And that way you can see what's going on and see the updates that are going on. So LinkedIn is probably the best place now that the website's under construction. Great, great. All right. So my final question that I always ask on the, on the podcast is uh, my highest value in life is freedom. For me, it means everything from freedom from people around the world, from oppression to the reason I'm an entrepreneur and right? I don't work with somebody, right? The freedom to create my life and make the decisions I want. What does freedom mean to you and how does it impact your business and life? Well, you know, freedom means to me is being able to do what I want, when I want, with whoever I want, when, when I want to do it. And I think that's one of the things that's one of my driving values likewise is, you know, right now it's uh, you know, there's so much constraint, people trying to constrain you and get you into certain different lanes. And that's one of the reasons that, uh, as I mentioned, is I did my own thing, right? Because I want to be able to control my own destiny. You know, I want to be able to make the call. And like right now, let us all make our own call and assume the risk, right? We're all yeah. big boys and bigger. We can assume the risk. And, and like my mom and dad said, Corey, I don't know about your mom and dad, but there are consequences to every decision you make. So if you're, if you're willing to live with them, let's go with it. Happy free. Love it. Dave Sanderson, I am so appreciative of having you on the DealQuest podcast. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me, Corey. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.